Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. It's been a while since I've spoken to Northumberland Peterborough South MPP David Pacini. With all his responsibilities as Minister of Environment, Conservation and Parks, Plus, the work he does locally, he is hard to pin down. But finally, we got a chance to chat. A lot has gone on. There is the opening of new parks and the release of 7,400 acres of Greenbelt for development. Locally, there is the minister's zoning order to allow a long-term care home to be constructed in Port Hope. In fact, the list is quite long. In this interview, you will learn all about this and more. It is my great pleasure to welcome back Northumberland Peterborough South MPP David Piccini to consider this Northumberland. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Rob. Great to great to sit down with you today. You know, it's been a little over a year since you were reelected and you and I actually spoke. So a lot has happened since then, both personally and politically. I want you to pick just one highlight from the year in each of those categories. So I'm going to start with you and let's talk about personal. What has happened to you personally over the past year that was a big highlight for you? Well, I mean, for me, it was uh, going on my honeymoon. I took a year hiatus between my wedding and honeymoon, um, rescheduled it three times uh, because I was back to work right after our wedding the next day. So um, so for me, without a doubt, uh, Rob, it was my honeymoon getting to go back to Italy. Of course, I, you know, I have family roots in, in Italy. So being able to go back, the history, the culture, the food, the music, the arts, um, all of it, uh, just immersed myself for, for the time I was there with my wife and, and we had a fantastic time and it was really nice to recharge the batteries. And it's amazing what that'll do for you. You come back of, of much clearer mind and, um, and for me, that was without a doubt the highlight personally. Now let's try politically. I know you're very, very busy. There's so much going on in your uh, portfolios and locally. But what was one highlight for you over the past year? Well, I would say on, on a ministry level, um, a, a big highlight for me uh, was without a doubt the announcement of a brand new provincial park, full full season, a year round operating park. It's the first time we've uh, done one of these in uh, in forty years in the province of Ontario. Um, the key caveat being all season, you know, year round uh, park, and you know, for me, it's a, a really fulfilling. Um, fulfilling announcement and a bit of a labor of love because I'm an avid park scorer. It's some of my fondest memories with my dad. So many, uh, you know, so for so many Canadians, it's their quintessential Canadian spirit experience getting out backcountry camping. And so to be able to announce not one, but two um, with the first ever urban provincial park and then Big Wind, 
um, the backcountry spot uh, right near ba Bracebridge. For me, um, that was a lot of hard work has gone into that. Um, a, you know, a, a big team effort, and and I just can't wait for for families to make memories there um, in the great outdoors that'll last a lifetime. Why is there such a focus for your government on the conservation and park side? Well, I think um, for for us, um, you know, I think I would take a, a trip down memory lane. Um, obviously, con conservation and conserve is, is quintessential to to the Progressive Conservative Party. It was, of course, Bill Davis, uh, former PC Premier, who first started the Ministry of Environment, um, and former Premier Harris, who made the largest commitment to protected areas in, in Ontario's history with the living legacy. So I think it's it, we've had a long storied history in Ontario. That's not to take away anything from, from other political stripes. I know in, from personal conversations with former Premier Bob, Bob Ray um, and you know conversations I've had with Kathleen Wynne, um, you know, that, that this is, this is something that I think that could transcend partisanship. And, um, you know, so for us on the parks front, uh, we saw a, a big impact in, in the pandemic and, you know, the premier has really wanted to make sure that as we grow a stronger Ontario, we're not looking in the rear view mirror. So when we talk about public transit, infrastructure, housing, so too, must we talk about um, outdoor recreational opportunities and and growing the amount of opportunities. So, of course, we're about to formally uh, announce Monarch Point Conservation Reserve, uh, South Shore, Prince Edward County, the first new nature reserve in over a decade in Ontario, um, the new provincial park that I announced, the new urban provincial park that I announced. So that's two provincial parks. And we're adding areas. And then, of course, the $14 million through the Greenlands Conservation Partnership Program, which is the single largest pri uh, private land conservation in initiative in Ontario's history and has helped protect almost half a million acres um, since its inception, uh, the largest, uh, one of the largest single years in Ontario's history last year, to put it in perspective, the four years prior to, to getting elected, we protected more last year than those four years combined uh, from 2014 to 18. So it's, um, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of work, but, but a big commitment for me partnering with players like Nature Conservancy of Canada, Ontario Land Trust Alliance, and a number of others. And I think all Ontarians want to protect biodiversity, want to expand the amount of protected areas, and, and we're doing that as, as we build a stronger Ontario. I want to talk to you about your work at the ministry for a few moments. I noticed over the past year there were many items dealing with the courts. And going through these press releases, uh, there are a lot of convictions of companies or people who have broken environmental laws. Why is there such a focus on going after these companies and so many convictions in the past year? Well, I think that um, Ontario has very high standards when it comes to various emissions to protect land, air, and water. So if you look at air emissions, for example, um, you know, we just recently uh, released new sulfur dioxide regulations. Um, and, you know, I think what Ontarians want to know is that we, we take those standards, uh, emission standards and regulations very seriously. And, um, you know, I think first I would preface, Rob, by saying the ministry takes an educational approach by working with companies to reduce emissions, um, you know, uh, into the air and, 
and you know, as we protect our land, air, and water. But but when uh, there's non-compliance, uh, there will be what's called an AMP, uh, you know, a conviction and a potential AMP, which is an administrative monetary penalty. What many Ontarians don't know is that those dollars go back into the areas in which we collect those funds. So I once had a constituent call and say, why aren't we getting those dollars here in in Peterborough? Um, it, it happened to be a constituent from South Peterborough. And I said, well, we happen to collect those in the Sarnia region uh, relative to sulfur dioxide emissions. So I think folks in those communities want to know that those monies are going back into environmental initiatives in, from the communities in which we're collecting uh, those those penalties. And and so that's just a nuance I thought I'd mention. But, um, you know, we it, it's an important responsibility that I have as Minister of Environment and and that, uh, that that our ministry uh, ministry takes very seriously. And of course, we respect the judicial process when it goes there. As Minister of the Environment, some people might think part of your portfolio would be to protect environmentally important lands. Yet back in November, the government decided to open up 7,400 acres of the Greenbelt for development. Mm -hmm. Now, as I'm sure you're well aware of, there are people who are not happy with this. And some people mm -hmm. might argue that it's difficult to find your voice speaking out about protecting clean water or mitigating flood risk or ensuring ho uh, homes for wildlife. I, I, there's a story just uh, today, Global News is breaking about long list of, of endangered species in these areas that are, are slotted to be uh, for development. And I, I want to know, why is that? You know, as Minister of the Environment, mm. you know, were you consulted on these policies? And what do you what do you have to say about that? Well, of course, I think it's first important. Let's we've got to compare. We can't be comparing apples to oranges. And, you know, I I mentioned half a million acres in, in protection, and we're talking about seventy four hundred. So I think just in terms of sheer size and magnitude, uh, it, it warrants uh, a proper comparator on on truly the size and scope of what we're talking about. Um, you know the, and I would also add that you know important to preface to to. To what you'd mentioned there, that it's an expansion of the green belt, uh, an additional two thousand acres that the government's doing. I think, look, Rob, governments of all stripes. This isn't unique to this government. Have grappled with how you grow protection and uh, grow Ontario. And I think, um, you know, I, I also heard this morning on the news we were talking about immigration coming into Canada, which is a good thing. We need it. Um, interestingly, I think it was Scott Reed, actually, former advisor to Kathleen Wynne, noted. Um, when the federal government contemplates immigration, which we welcome, it should come with it some dollars and cents to build the infrastructure uh, for the areas in which immigrants go. And we know disproportionately, like we're not talking 50%, we're talking like 70 to 85% are coming into Ontario within the GTHA. So we have to support a growing Ontario. We've got a number of help wanted signs everywhere, and major manufacturers, and we've got to support a growing Ontario in, in the GTHA. Um, so, you know, looking at, at that piece, I've mentioned we've grown significant protected areas within a Southern Ontario sphere. Um, and the green belt itself, if you look at a lot of the areas that have been contemplated, many of these areas are fully serviced. Many are right beside major transit or transportation corridors. And, and it makes sense because if you're not looking at, at, uh, intensifying there, you're looking where? Further north? You're looking into what? Uh, areas like uh, the Oak Ridges Moraine. And I know we don't want to do that. So I think you have to look at these areas and and certain trade-offs. As I said, previous government did 
I'd do that when they carved into the green belt 17 times for various land trade-offs. Now they did it for things like a golf course and Jiffy Lube, among other things. We have scoped it narrowly to housing. And I think that's a policy decision that governments uh, duly elected are able to make. And we've scoped ours, ours for housing. Um, and, and I think, you know, everybody knows we're in a housing crisis. This, these lands were put aside for a very specific reason, to protect the watershed. As environment minister, can you assure us that, that you know, we're going to have enough water for all these people to drink? Well, what I can tell you is my greatest concern as environment minister when it comes to drinking water are septic systems and, and areas in more rural uh, and remote areas of Ontario. That is where any expert uh, who's certainly advised me would tell you, um, you know, Ontario needs to focus on. Um, furthermore, they would also tell you that it's aging infrastructure and various bypass overflows like we saw in Shadow Creek and Hamilton that pose uh, a, a significant concern. That's not uh, at all to, to minimize what you've said at all, but that's just what I have heard um, in my experience as environment minister from experts and why we're investing in you know rural and remote communities, improving aging infrastructure. I think to our community, recent announcements in Coburg, in, in Durham region, the Newcastle plant uh, discharging into Lake Ontario, um, places like Dufferin's, um, you know, have their policy, policy one discharge receiver are among, if not the best, among the best on Lake Ontario Basin. So it's important that people have confidence in their drinking water systems, especially when backed up by qualified professionals, engineers and experts and incredible workers that operate these systems. We're investing in improve in constant improvements and expansion to deal with aging infrastructure and to build new infrastructure to support drinking water systems for tomorrow's Ontarians. Um, while doing a number of programs with the federal government with colleagues on on Great Lakes. So, uh, for me, you know, and and then what I would say on on the flooding piece, uh, you know, we've invested heavily into obviously regional flood controls. Um, as a government. And, uh, you know, Minister Surma and I have worked closely. I've spoken with my counterpart and uh, Minister LeBlanc uh, on Minister Surma's end on the Investing in Canada Infrastructure Program and building climate resiliency and, and investing in adaptation. So, um, you know, I think I certainly can invest in it. And I know uh, Ganaraska River, for example, we've invested in projects, my ministry to improve shoreline and mitigate against erosion and, and flood protection. But I think there's a recognition that to do the sort of infrastructure to protect our watersheds that we need to do with increasing extreme weather events, that you, you have to layer it with all three levels of government. So, you know, we heard from the feds that there's a commitment in the fall. I look forward to that. I've spoken with my counterpart and I'm chairing the Council of Ministers of Environment this summer where this is on our agenda and we've all agreed we need to layer municipal, uh, provincial and federal dollars uh, to build that resiliency. So so for me, those are, are the imperatives. Are people going to have an opinion whenever you look at uh, development? Yes, that, that that's without question. Uh, is the green belt increasingly, or is the green belt an area of of increased focus and sensitivity for Ontarians? Yes, I get that, and I understand it. That's why we want to expand it. Um, but I think there is a recognition that you can look at land swaps and you can look at specific areas for concentrated development on areas that are serviced that are ready to go. 
um, because Robert costs a lot of money to put in servicing. You're seeing it in Port Hope right now, for example. There was a recognition among this council that ostensibly they're in very dire situations financially when it comes to infrastructure. So, you know, we've got to look at, at fully serviced areas, uh, you know, to intensify within the GTHA. There are critics out there, though, that say the government and developers are have a very tight relationship and they refer not just to the green belt, but also to the major changes to municipal policies around improving housing developments. And while your government has argued the need for speeding up construction of affordable housing, there are those who argue that there's a lot of construction on the books already, and there's plenty of opportunity within existing uh, spaces for infilling. Even your own party, I believe, Steve Gilchrist, a former MPP and one of the architects of the Oak Ridges Moraine, is someone who makes a case that to protect lands and, and, and to even expand them. How do you respond to these concerns or these accusations yeah, I mean, look, I would say if the, if the status quo was working and we had areas and land that were slated and we could just, if if but simply uh, continuing down the river path we were on worked, we wouldn't be in the housing crisis room today. So respectfully, I would disagree with anyone who asserts that the status quo works in this province because it doesn't. It's why all three levels of government, the number one issue we hear at the doors when in election time is the housing affordability crisis. And it has so many layered uh, challenges, Rob, when you know when you don't have a home, mental health, addictions, all of those issues, we take a housing first approach to all of that. So um, we've got to address the housing. We, we have taken measures as a government, waiving development charges on purpose-built rentals and affordable housing units. Look at uh, the Habitat House in Baltimore. That's been a significant beneficiary of that. Um, they mentioned it in a recent roundtable that we'd had um, you know, on on citing those DCs and Habitat has, of course, supported uh, the move that Ontario's made to waive development charges for purpose-built rentals and affordable housing units um, to stymie and encourage uh, encourage shovels and ground on those important projects. I think, you know, there ultimately, I I, I wasn't elected uh, to to exacerbate the status quo. I was elected to make difficult decisions to challenge the status quo and get more shovels in the ground. Um, you know, and, and I let the stats speak for themselves. There was more housing starts on purpose-built rentals and housing starts writ large last year than at any point in, in modern history in this province. So um, it is working. We are seeing increased supply. It boils to a simple supply and demand. Um, you know, we, we've got to increase supply. We're doing that as a government. And um, while also ensuring you know, all of the other things, healthcare, um, protected areas, outdoor recreational opportunities, um, infrastructure, you know, we're, we're tackling all of that at once. But David, uh, I, I talked to planners and, and people who whose job it is to uh, look after planning and municipal leaders, and they're saying some of your policies have gutted the ability of, of planners to do their job properly. There are municipalities that are very worried about uh, income uh, uh, generated by user fees. There's a lot of policies that have people worried that people on the street are worried about having a say in, in what's being developed in their neighborhoods. How do you how do you respond to that? Well, I think um, 
you know, I don't, I'd love to speak to the planners you're speaking with. I, I've spoken with a number of planners who are very supportive of, uh, of these policies that have been put in place that are unlocking um, housing growth. You know, I was just at arguably one of the largest environmental firms in, in Ontario, EXP, uh, for their new office in Brampton, where I spoke with scores of planners and, you know, ecologists, scientists about what we're doing as a government. And, and we're seeing the public transit that we need to collect, connect people from A to B. Rob, the, you know, if this, the, the status quo just bottom line isn't working. Anyone who's ever left North America to travel to any major city has seen um, decades of, of inaction uh, on previous uh, predominantly liberal governments left crumbling infrastructure, uh, left a U a line with, with a line through it for public transit. That's what our greatest city and the engine of the Canadian economy had to offer. Um, and that's just bottom line, not acceptable. Uh, not having two-way all day go, we got that done. Previous governments could have done it. They didn't. We did. Previous governments could have made a record commitment to public transit, even if they didn't build it, Rob. They could have just said we're going to and then never build it. They didn't. We did. And we're getting shovels in the ground on it. So I, I think, you know, respectfully, like we're we're we, we talk about being a world class city in terms of cities like Toronto. We talk about being a world class G7 nation, yet our public transit, um, you know, is crumbling. And the same people who ran Ontario um, many of whom have gone federally, uh, can't even keep via rail on, on the line. So, uh, And I think we see that here locally. It frustrates many I speak to. So you contrast that with provincial Metrolink's massive expansion all over Ontario. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on, on increasing public transit, uh, investing in infrastructure, dealing with the housing backlogs. Um, there's always going to be uh, increased opinions, but I, I think simply the, the old adage of, you know, we agree, we want to be part of the solution. We agree, we do need more of this, just just not in my community or just, just not here. Everyone's going to find reasons why it shouldn't just be here or it shouldn't just be there. But at some point, Rob, you just have to get it done. And, um, and, and we are focused on that. And there are, there are scores of Ontarians depending on us to do that. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I want to talk to you about the Southbridge development mm -hmm. in Port Hope. Where do you stand on this development and why? We're in, uh, you know, a housing cri crisis, as I mentioned, in Ontario, um, which which includes long-term care. Um, we have thousands of people on the waiting list, and I support, you know, getting this, this home built. Um, the existing home um, is near the end of its lifespan. We need a suitable home, modern and safe space for people to age in place. We have been talking about this, Rob, for seven years now. Seven years we've been talking. Um, and and we've been, you know, that's not to say any one side has clean hands on this. I'm just saying the facts are at my level, the province, I made a commitment for healthcare and I made a commitment to build um, 30,000 uh, long-term care spots. And seven years later, I don't see anything that's changed here in Port Hope. We have private uh, land that they're looking to develop a modern and, and safe space on. They have licensed uh, beds that they're that they're not operating because it is this government 
that has said you need modern HVAC. It's this government that said we're not going to cram four seniors to a room. Again, previous governments could have done that. They didn't. We did. So um, we have doubled the number of inspectors. Okay. So all of those um, things that so, make, you know, make a lot of sense. For all these reasons, no, we got to get this I, done. I appreciate that. But issuing a minister's zoning order is a big mm -hmm. stick to wield. Why was it necessary in your mind to go that far? This is a new council. They've only been elected a couple of months. They really didn't have a chance to kind of sit down and roll up their sleeves on it. Why was it important to take that MZO and push that through yeah. as, as the mechanism? Well, I would, I would ask back to you, Rob, what, what happened in the last two councils that, that would lead you to believe that anything different would happen here? Seven years, Rob, that this is, okay. this has gone back and forth. And, you know, I'm, Respectfully, we, we've all been elected. So I, I think I've heard a lot of back and forth on democracy and this and that. I, I think let, let's I, I don't think that's helpful. I mean, I don't think tallying up the number of votes I got in Port Hope and comparing it to the number of votes that councillors got. You know, I know who's received more votes if we're going to truly compare. I don't think that's helpful to this dialogue. I think the province are using tools that we have to stay true to a commitment we made to, we were very clear to Ontarians. We said, we're going to do this. If you reelect us, we're going to do it. Um, we've used ministerial zoning orders to build hospitals and long-term care beds before the election. So it's not like this is a new tool. If Ontarians, um, you know, didn't want the province to use every tool in their toolkit to get hospitals built, long-term care built, and affordable housing built, they wouldn't have re-elected us. Uh, all right. Um, so fair, I, fair enough. Know, fair so, enough. But what yeah. what message does this uh, send to other municipalities in Northumberland? I mean, there's the Lakeport Beach uh, development in Alnwick Haldeman. There's the condos in, on Elgin Street in Brighton. I mean, what message are you sending there? I, I, I should Should they be worried? Should they be concerned? Well, I think, you know, it's important to note that 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 these MZOs that in this instance here um, is used uh, scoped on on the crisis we are in in healthcare. Um, you know, I've been very clear on on other developments uh, in our community. Uh, all of those uh, require the consent of council in the, in the application of, of this MZO and others where we've uh, moved them forward without the consent of, you know, of council, without the vote requesting it from council have been scoped uniquely to the healthcare crisis that we're in. And, um, you know, again, I would say, Rob, I think this is not where I'm sitting down with you saying, you know, we haven't had anything happen in the last few years that have shown us we have, we've had the pandemic that's shown us the systemic failures uh, of, of how we care for seniors. So that, that is the moral imperative. That is the backdrop I'm in. Furthermore, Rob, we're not sitting here with, with a stabilized wait list um, where we're not in, in crisis. We are sitting here, Rob, right now. And, and if we want to call Susan Walsh up at NHH and ask her, Susan, what percentage of your acute care beds today are occupied by what's called ALC, alternate level of care patients? They'll tell you over 30%. Sometimes it's gotten as high as, as 40, 50%. What that means, and we all have to be very clear with the people, if you get hit in a car accident, if your loved one suddenly has a, a cardiac arrest or a condition, X percent of those beds, acute care beds that they would go to are already occupied. 
by people who don't require that acute care uh, service. They're alternate level of care patients who would be better cared for in LTC. There's a wait list. There's that reality. These are the imperatives. I don't have the time, respectfully, to um, to continue for another seven years discussing this, Rob. We have an imperative to get modern and safe spaces done today. Are the proponents we deal with nationally accredited? Yes. Do they have to meet rigorous design uh, standards and processes with the ministries? Yes. Have we doubled the number of inspectors and taken every measure, and I'm open to suggestions, on ways to staff these buildings? Yes. Free PSW training, the largest expansion in nursing seats in Ontario's history. We've done all of that to address this. But I, I, I do think somebody's got to stand here and say, I never heard anyone say, we are in a crisis and we have to address this. And so I don't have the luxury of waiting another seven years. We are, we have an aging population that deserve modern and safe spaces. So uh, we have an imperative to a- act as the province, given healthcare is is our responsibility. So let's let's move on. Talk about some other things. Uh, a couple of months ago, there was a huge debate over harm reduction for people struggling with addictions, drug mm. addictions in Northumberland. I would like to start with your thoughts on harm reduction in our community. How would you tackle the opioid crisis we face in Northumberland? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's a, you know, it's a, Hugh and I could speak for a set hour just on this topic. So honestly, I don't think anything I say will do justice to the long discussion that this topic warrants. Having said that, I will say, you know, our our roadmap to wellness that the province is committed um, with a significant investment is an important first step. We've had very focused discussions locally. We recently had the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions down, who's completing his PhD in this subject, uh, very passionate about this, to talk about, you know, how do we go upstream and target youth? Well, you do it through investing in programs like the province has invested in, working with Rebound and our police service, um, you know, that I announced, uh, I think it was two years ago now, targeting youth. Uh, you, you do it through... Um, increase mental health and wellness within schools, building resiliency in K-12, but also recognizing that creating a silo within the education system in and of itself isn't an answer. You have to embed community supports because you know, Rob, that it's not just during the school day where you put your hand up and say, I have an issue. In fact, it it probably is more acute in evenings at night. Um, And and so building those community supports and overlapping it is, is key. Um, I'm a big believer in, in, in detox and, and wraparound supports. I'm not a, a supporter and was very clear on the record of um, as, as well-intentioned as they may be, uh, a solution that bypasses a, both uh, a provincial process, municipal bylaws, and just says it's okay to come and, and, and be supplied with drugs here or there. Um, you know, but, but I think what you're hearing from community members is an exasperation on, we've got to tackle this. We've got to work with youth. Um, I, I think the idea of supply and, and making it readily available, um, you know, I look to areas of, uh, you know, of North America where that's, where that's happened in, in greatest extent, and respectfully, it has failed. It has led to entire areas where we have not done well by these people, where criminals have embedded themselves in areas like East Hastings in Vancouver, San Francisco, other communities. And so in our rural community, I think we have an opportunity here to 
work with service providers, Ontario Health Team Northumberland uh, is, is building local solutions to this. They've put forward uh, some proposals that involve increased help for youth, youth uh, wellness, um, and, and a number of other ideas that I'm working with them on now. So I value that. I mean, I get my marching orders from those players in our community who deal with it on the front line and Northumberland Hills hospitals rebound, um, you know, police sadly, who, who often do end up dealing with this as well. We've embedded M heart. So, uh, clinicians in with police officers, recognizing that we leave policing for police, but the mental health is better dealt with a clinician. So I've sort of given you a myriad of things, Rob. Yeah. None of which does justice to, sure. to the topic. No, I, 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 appre- I appreciate you know, that, and and it's very and serious. We've only got a limited amount of time. Yeah. Pretty quickly, though, have you, have you you know you mentioned a lot of people that you've talked to. What about Greenwood Coalition? What about uh, frontline workers? What about people with lived experience? Have, have you talked to those people as well? Yeah, I have. You know, I've been I've been down in in Coburg and Port Hope where, where it's most poignant, uh, within, within our Northumberland community, uh, to speak with, uh, with a number of people with lived experiences. I have not spoken with Greenwood coalition recently. Um, but, uh, but, but have spoken with workers on the front lines. In fact, I was uh, on one of the M heart ride alongs, um, you know, within, within the last year to see firsthand. And I've seen, I've spoken with, with a young woman, for example, um, in Coburg, who I know from speaking with police had been, uh, you know, an, an individual that they had frequent encounters with who is now uh, stabilized, had wraparound supports, was supported, um, you know, and, and, and receiving the supports that they need. And so it's, it's programs like that, that are working. This, this sort of MHARP programs never existed when I was first elected. Uh, they are in, in place here in our community now, um, community paramedicine as well. Uh, which is which is a big big uh, you know been a big support to to you know being supported in place, um, so you know I've had these conversations. I was recently at um, St. Peter's for an announcement, and I know they st- stood up in a big way uh, in response to the housing and homelessness issue in Coburg. And I spoke to a number of uh, folks there and uh, who are dealing with it. The volunteers. Uh, I don't think there's any one silver bullet, Rob. If there was, we would. Um, we would we would have used it by now, but I what I do say is that government alone will not be the answer. You have to bring in community, and you have to listen to the community. So having those conversations with, you know, faith based groups and others is important as well. Any news on what's happening with the old Brookside Youth Center on King Street in Coburg? Yeah, it's a great question. So when uh, Coburg first put their hand up just prior to the last provincial election to say we have an interest, it paused the disposition process from a provincial standpoint, meaning we will let the municipal partner uh, take as long as they'd like. Obviously it's not a forever, um, but <clears throat> excuse me, I take time to um, work with Infrastructure Ontario on scoping out what is needed, doing a, a site assessment, um, assessing what's there, what needs uh, to be further remediated, costs that the province incurs, um, and and essentially brokering a deal. Since then, uh, Coburg has looped in Northumberland County as well to be a part of that discussion. Northumberland County has, um, you know, has put their hand up as the social services pro you know, system provider for the province within our community. I think it's important and the right move to have them there. Actually meeting with the CAO, um, Coburg and a number of representatives, I believe it's next week to get an update on where they're at. 
Um, where I can be most helpful here as MPP going forward is, you know, as as I've heard from the county where they may say, Dave, you know, we'd like to do X, Y, and Z. Your provincial um, IO uh, civil servants have said they're looking for this, but really we want to do that. That's where I get involved, bring in the minister, which I have done, and said, look, um, you know, how can we better be responsive to what the communities articulated here? And so that's that's sort of been my interactions to date. I've also said, you know, we have a workforce housing issue as well. So, um, you know, seeing local uh, providers, I got to say, um, you know, when, when you hear from the development and building sector, uh, it is important to have them at the table. And, and I really like hearing from progressive players like Stallwood, for example, who are, are actually articulating the workforce housing crisis that we're in, saying we need to do a better job at building housing for 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 our workforce, uh, be it a Leuna employee, be it uh, someone who's on the front lines of, of the automotive renaissance we're seeing right now working at CPK or General Motors. So, um, you know, that's where we're at today, where they're articulating a formal proposal. Um, it is my full hope that that a deal is reached um, and that this this land transfers hands into either one or a, a multitude of community groups that come together with uh, the upper or lower tier to put forward a proposal that's going to work for our community. And, um, you know, I'm going to continue to be a supportive advocate throughout that process until we reach a deal. If one is not reached just as a process clarification, Rob, then it would go to open market after that, but not until both sides either um, walk away or, or, or in, in our instance, hopefully they'll reach a deal. And I have no uh, reason to believe that things aren't uh, moving well. Going forward, what can we expect over the upcoming weeks? Well, we've got a good conversation coming up on Brookside. Um, I don't know if you're looking broader. I, I think um, in the coming weeks, I have challenged our lower tier um, municipalities to come up with, to, be, to respond to the province's job site challenge um, in identifying land. I mean, you, you spoke, Rob, earlier about the community and, and planning and, and where we're at. I think it bears asking the question, the province said we're going to dispose of lands that we deem surplus. How many municipalities have done the same thing in an articulated manner to say, hey, we've got surplus property, be it unassumed road access that could easily fit uh, a triplex or, or, or a laneway home. We see them in Toronto now. Um, or we've got land. I mean, I think the bigger concern of that of mine is in some of my discussions, we've got municipalities who don't even know what land they own. Like they haven't even answered that question before we start, how do we dispose of, of surplus? And then in terms of long-term planning, um, where are we, where is the industrial park of tomorrow? Where are we going to have job creators situate? Um, you know, like some of the EV uh, players that we've seen in St. Thomas, Stellantis and Windsor. So I've challenged our municipalities. I'm pleased to say they have jumped uh, to this challenge and are working actively with me and my office and identifying those areas. Because you said, I mean, it's about long-term planning. It's about the community looking forward and saying, where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? And I think if you pulled the majority in Northumberland, they'd say, we don't want to drive. We don't want to be mercy to train 651 uh, via rail. We'd rather live, work, and raise a family within our own community. And so I think, you know, it is my responsibility to try and create that competitive climate to attract the investments. But what everybody's saying, Banico Packaging, Premier Tech, uh, CPK, and others, is where are they going to live in our community? Because um, we don't have the housing. So 
for me in the weeks and months ahead, this is what we're laser focused on, uh, working with municipalities to develop their own uh, surplus uh, plan of action uh, to, uh, you know, to dispose of surplus properties, intensifying our housing as well, which means, you know, providing long-term care within an urban setting, not just shipping as, as some have suggested north of the 401, you know, doing it within the urban boundaries so that people can age in place um, and that people can live within uh, within the urban boundaries of, of our communities and hopefully work as well. Before we end the interview, I want to take a moment to recognize that my time is limited and I could talk to you forever. And you have been extraordinarily generous today, giving me the time uh, that you have. If listeners are interested in learning more about what David Pacini is up to, you can hear him talk about a host of topics on his regular show called Pacini from the Park. It airs regularly on Northumberland 89.7 FM. There's also an archive of all the previous shows on the station's website at northumberland897.ca. So knock yourself out. David Pacini, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks very much for giving me this opportunity, Rob. I, I really appreciate it. Um... The, the questions and how we were able to dance around on so many topics. And I, I know for listeners that, you know, uh, even an hour doesn't do it justice half an hour. So I'm always open either, as you mentioned, like Pacini from the park, or if they want to reach out to my office or, or pop by, I'm always open as well. Thanks again. That was David Pacini, MPP for Northumberland, Peterborough South. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.